Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, welcome to episode 364 of the Lean Blog Interviews Podcast. I'm Mark Graben, and we're joined today by a returning guest. He is Mitch Kahn, the president of a company in New Jersey called Unionware. He was previously a guest on episode 234, so if you want to hear more about uh, Mitch and their first years with Lean, you can go back and hear that episode for some background, but we're going to hear about uh, what's new and the current challenges that you're facing. Mitch, thank you for being here today. You're welcome. Good to see you again. Yeah, good to talk to you again. So, you know, know, we'll be able to weave Lean into the story, and it'd be good to hear about how the company has progressed. But right now, what's the urgent situation that you and the company have been thrown into? Tell us about that. So uh, we manufacture baseball hats and bags, like tote bags and backpacks. And up until the first week of March, we were rocking. We were manufacturing baseball caps for basically every candidate for president. Um, I have a bunch of examples up behind me here. Yeah, We were working on all of those the first week of March. Uh, we had about 175 people. Uh, we were trying to add more people. And a uh, few things happened the first week of March. One is that basically everyone dropped out of the race. And the second is the coronavirus. Um, and uh, with the coronavirus, in short order, a lot of our jobs were canceled. We do a lot of event merchandise. So a lot of events were canceled. Some of our military projects were scaled back uh, because things were defunded to make funds available for emergency relief. And uh, we do some retail work. A lot of retail stores were closed. And we found ourselves from being having a tough time keeping up with orders, at working at, at full capacity, to not having a lot to do. Um, yeah. Yeah. We... Uh, we decided that we needed to come up with a new business model to carry us through this crisis. And um, in the past, been in business for almost 30 years, we had made a lot of textile products for the medical industry, most of them on the military side, like first aid packs. But we'd been on a lot of projects and I knew there were a lot of opportunities. So kind of jumped right in and said, what can we do? Uh, Called everyone that I knew who had contacts with hospitals and in the medical business and came up with a list of products that we could possibly make for the medical industry. And so how did that work out then um, in terms of your sewing capabilities, your workforce, your materials? I mean, some of this, it seems like fell really nicely into place for you to be able to do this. Yeah, it took about, I mean, it, it's really amazing to think how quickly quickly this happened. This process started maybe a month ago. Uh, and uh, we we had a bunch of ideas of things we could make. We didn't know what hospitals needed. Mm. And um, we one, one stroke of luck that we had is that our union, we're a union shop. Our union is represented by the same union that represents the hospital workers in New York City. And I asked the Um, head of the union, the international president of the union said, look, we can help out here. Um, We can do things for the hospitals. We have no idea what to make. At the time, about a month ago, all anyone was asking for was masks, masks, masks. And I took a look at the masks that they needed. And I said, you know, 
does anyone realize that these are not sewn? There's no sewing that goes on in a certified mask because the act of sewing puts a needle hole through the mask right. that allows germs to get in. Um, but that's all anybody was asking us for. And we didn't have the capability to make those masks. Um, we had the capability to do masks for consumers, but that wasn't something that we were interested in at the time. We wanted to get in and, and really help out the hospitals. So the union met with the hospital association in New York, who I guess they normally negotiate with, and they came up with a few products that could be sewn by the remaining textile manufacturers in that union. Um, one of them was a face, uh, face shield, which has a clear vinyl or plastic or PET front and a headband around it. And another is a hospital gown and immediately jumped on uh, board and started figuring out ways to make products that would satisfy their requirements. Um, keeping in mind that a lot of these products required FDA approved raw materials, which were simply not available in this country mm -hmm. at the time. So we had to jump through a lot of hoops to be able to get something that the hospitals would accept. And, and we did, we did it in a, in a relatively quick period of time. I mean, we actually had one product that was accepted right away with two or three days from the time I, I heard the term face shield for the first time until the time that we had an approved sample was, was about two or three days. Uh, we were lucky in that respect because when I saw what they were looking for, uh, which was a clear vinyl front and a headband and, and some foam, I said, you know what, these are all items that we already have. I mean, every, Every baseball hat. <clears throat> Didn't think about this. <laughs> and, and for people who are listening to the uh, traditional audio podcast, we're actually doing this as a video. So while Mitch is reaching up and grabbing hats, um, if you want to watch the conversation, you can go to leanblog.org slash 364. But Mitch, go ahead. Yeah, so basically every baseball hat has a sweatband that goes around the inside of the hat. Mm -hmm. This is something that we make ourselves here. And face shields have a headband that go around the head. Um, every binder that we make, we make portfolios and binders out of vinyl. Every binder has a, a clear plastic cover on it that usually stick papers in. Yeah. So we had clear plastic and all different thicknesses and sizes that we could work with. And every backpack that we make and every laptop bag we make has foam on the inside. Um, and so we had a lot of foam. Uh, that we, so these are three things, not only that we had in stock, but that we had suppliers and backup suppliers and probably 10 to 20 suppliers we'd already purchased from. Yes. So uh, we already had suppliers for foam. We had suppliers for clear vinyl. We had suppliers for the materials that go into the headbands. We had suppliers for Velcro, elastic, anything that we could use to make these products adjustable, 10, 20 suppliers. And on day one, we started contacting all these suppliers, seeing what kind of inventory they had, seeing if they were open, seeing if they could back up the inventory, because we could see that if hundreds of millions of face shields were going to be needed in the country, there was going to be an issue um, getting raw materials. Yeah. Um, so this is the uh, uh, initial face shield that we manufactured, which is basically a uh, clear plastic in the front. It's got foam. It's got elastic, which stretches around the back. Um, and we're making these by the tens of thousands pretty much every day. Um, we 
started manufacturing them in-house, but we realized that there was going to be an issue getting people to work, an issue with people who are healthy that may be quarantined because they came in contact with someone. So very quickly, we established home sewing procedures where our, we have a lot of employees who have machines at home. We actually designed the product to make sure that it could be done on a home sewing machine. Mm. For example, we initially had the foam being sewn to the plastic, uh, which can be done by an industrial machine, but can't be done by a home sewing machine. So we transitioned to have that foam applied by uh, basically a double stick tape or glue and just had the elastic sewn to the plastic um, and uh, established all sorts of procedures like pick up and drop off a safe space to drop the goods off. So you don't have to come in contact with anybody making sure if we were hiring people from the outside, that they could be paid by PayPal or Venmo. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of, it's really, it's been a daily process to tweak the procedures yeah. that we need to do to maintain the volume that, that we've been able to maintain. And we're still interested in growing this volume a lot because there's still way more demand than supply for protective equipment. Um, and, uh, growing this volume probably means adding a lot of, a lot of additional home sewers mm -hmm. while our state, New Jersey is still under lockdown and it's yeah. planning to be locked down for five or six weeks now. Um, so, so, you know, a lot of challenges there, a lot of, yeah. uh, a lot of challenges and, and lean manufacturing and all the principles that we learned in lean have definitely helped us mm -hmm. overcome those challenges. Yeah. So we, I'd like to explore that. A um, couple, couple follow-up questions, um, just sure. curiosity. Um, was, um, in this era, is there, was there an accelerated FDA approval process or kind of special waivers no. granted for certain products? Or? There, there have been no waivers. There have been no FDA approval process. Um, there was uh, definitely issues with the hospitals not wanting anything that's not FDA approved and being in denial that they could get something. A um, lot of conversations where they were, uh, uh, so many conversations where people were under the impression that the stuff that they ordered three months ago that they were promised it's gonna come in another week or two, it was actually gonna come in in a week or two. And they just needed stuff to get through this week. If they have to wait for FDA approval, they might as well wait for the stuff that's coming in from China. That stuff's still not coming. Yeah. Um, and not only that, the raw materials are in China because if all of the sewing is in China, why would people make the raw materials here and store them here? They're all in China too. And guess what? China's not letting go of it. And even if they wanted to let go of it, there are all sorts of logistical problems here. Right. One thing that I don't fully, I, I don't, I'm, I am speaking out of turn here and I'm speaking anecdotally, but I've been informed that one of the issues is that when the coronavirus hit, most of the shipments and the ships and the containers were all headed to the United States, did not return to China. So there's a shortage of, sh of sh freighters over there and there's a shortage of containers over there. Wow. That, that needs to be unwound before goods can even start to come over here uh, en masse. Wow. Um, so anyway, the, uh, to answer your question, there was no approval. Okay. We had to convince We had to convince the hospital buyers that what we were making would pass the FDA tests that were necessary. There are certain FDA tests that we consider necessary, certain that, uh, certain that weren't necessary. 
Um, you know, things like uh, water resistance and water repellency. That's something that was necessary. Things right. like stain release that may not have been so necessary, especially if this is something that was going to be discarded. Yeah. Um, another issue we encountered, and this is with the gowns, we're manufacturing uh, hospital and isolation gowns now too, is just the cost differential between what was coming in from China and what they were getting domestically was enormous. In China, the material's cheap, the labor's cheap, the construction was really cheap, and the garment was meant to be discarded. Um, no one here could make a, a garment meant to be discarded in America. That's just not something that we're set, we're set up to do. So anything that takes labor is going to cost money in America. Um, so what we, and this was not my idea, this was the hospital association's idea in New York, but to replace the uh, disposable garments with something that could be washed at an extremely high heat 50 times. So that the cost per use ends up being similar to that of the disposable garment. And that's something the hospitals were willing to go for. So we basically had to create these specs, get test results from a manufacturer, but no FDA approval. And we were very clear about that. Okay. So earlier you said it took a couple of days. It took a couple of days to get the hospital buyers to agree that what you could produce would be acceptable. Uh, no, that took longer than a couple that of days. That took longer. Okay. It took a couple of days to come up with the prototype that we knew we could do. And we've been improving that prototype every single day since then, as we're getting feedback from buyers. Um, but uh, yeah, we were, we were able to get the ball rolling in something that normally would have taken a month. We banded together with our suppliers and our employees and got done in two or three days. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm, I'm curious, you know, you talk about, um, you got some people working from home. You still have, you said, 50 or fewer people in the usual uh, facility. They're having to be spaced out. How, how is that changing manufacturing right now? Yeah, so um, they do have to be spaced out. And we're, as a lean manufacturer, we're used to single piece flow. Right, uh, right. So we've had to change the way that we manufacture um, in certain instances, we're using cells and in other instances, we're having one operator do the entire garment because it's going to be, it's actually more efficient than having a production line do it when they have to be spaced out. Um, and we want them to be spaced out. And we also don't want multiple people touching the same garment or the mm -hmm. same, same product. Yeah. Um, we are supplying the workers with gowns, the hospital gowns that we make, the masks that we make, the shields that we make, sanitizer and gloves. And um, it's basically a challenge to get 30 to 40 people in every day out of 180. Um, so we have people on call and we're, we're doing the best that we can to get, get people in. But we don't want people in who've been exposed. Right. Um, we don't have anybody sick yet, which is, which is almost amazing given the number of people that we have and that we're in a hotspot. Yeah. Um, not only are we in a hotspot, we're in a hotspot within a hotspot. Like the, we're, in, we're in a neighborhood in Newark that's considered a hotspot. Uh, maybe uh, early on, we were very into educating people on the hygiene health and making sure they had accurate information on how to stay safe. Um, so that is possibly, that's possibly been very helpful. Um, another reason I think our employees are very cautious is that uh, the city of Newark, New Jersey has a huge population of Ecuadorans and Ecuador has been hit harder than almost anywhere else mm -hmm. in the world um, as far as uh, coronavirus and their inability to handle a surge. 
So the news that they're getting is really scaring the bejesus out of everybody. So I don't blame them for not coming in. That's why we're not forcing anybody to come in. Um, but it has fortunately kept the people who, who are part of our community safe. Yeah. Um, and so you talk about, you know, some people are coming to work. You've got people working from home and then that was not enough capacity. So you said you've, you've had to hire new employees. Are you continuing to do that to ramp up capacity? This is very labor intensive manual work, even when it's in your facility, right? Yes. So, um, we have spent, so an example is on the, um, on the face shields, that we're manufacturing, we have not hired anybody new yet, just to be clear. It's something that we're going to have to do um, because we don't have, we don't have enough people with home sewing machines. Mm-hmm. Surge in demand for domestic sewing has cleaned out the sewing machine stocks for the country. Wow. We can't even buy machines for our workers right now. Wow. And we can't necessarily give them machines because our machines are industrial machines that run on 220 power which you really can't right. bring into a house. Um, so uh, at that point, we would need to hire workers. But there are things where we decided, for example, this foam, which we were planning to stitch on, we're now gluing on. And, and it's going to cost more money to put a, a double stick tape or a self-adhesive on the back of that. But that's something someone can do from home. And they can also put a stitch here and a stitch here at home. So it's going to enable us to take even the most basic sewing machines and the least skilled sewers and be able to make product that we can ship. Okay. Wow. By using new people working from home. And then you mentioned, or you, you maybe can elaborate on uh, the supply chain network now of, of delivering raw material, picking up finished goods. Can you, can you talk a little bit more about how that works and, and how you've developed and refined that. Um, so that is uh, that's constantly in flux, um, depending on. Uh, you know, at the beginning, we had people pick up and drop off work. Then, when we had a manageable number, we had one person pick up, just do a circuit around the neighbor, around the really the, the city, uh, the county, um, picking up and dropping off work. Uh, and then as it expanded beyond that, we had a combination of the two of them. Um, and we have a, a room set up at the front of our office with a buzzer where someone can come in and make an appointment to pick up and drop off work. They pick up what they've done. Uh, so they pick up the new stuff. They drop off what they've done. They get paid by Venmo or PayPal um, and they move on. So it's it's become actually pretty easy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, the work comes back to us because we have to sanitize it before we ship it off. So okay. we're doing all the san- all, we're doing all the sanitizing in house. And you know, so one one of the things you're talking about here that really makes me think of um, core lean manufacturing principles is continuous improvement, rapid cycle. Um, and it sounds like you're doing that from the product standpoint. Every, it's not like every aspect of operations right now is being tweaked and, and continuously refined just because you find better ways to do it or, or the circumstances are changing, right? Yes. Um, the circumstances are constantly changing. Uh, there are supply issues for a lot of the raw materials, um, even non-FDA approved materials. They're just, there's just not a big sewing capacity in this country. We outsourced all of it. Mm-hmm. So non-FDA approved materials, even things that aren't waterproof, were all snapped up uh, to use for any sort of gowns. 
Um, elastic is something that's in high demand because it's used in most of the masks that are being made right now. It's very difficult, difficult to get a hold of. Um, sewing machines, I mentioned. Sewers. Sewers is something. There's just not a lot of people with sewing experience. We just spent 20 years without sewing being taught really in any schools anymore because yeah. career anymore and clothes are so cheap that who needs to make their own clothes not who much of a hobby. even fix their own clothes yeah. they can go to h&m and buy a shirt for four dollars so um yeah there's just not much not a lot of sewing out there so we've had to kind of work around all of those and uh i think the the thing that i've taken from lean the most is is the continuous improvement but also the working backwards you start at the end of the production line and then you work backwards and you see how, you know, if we need to ship 50,000 face shields in two weeks, what does that look like? Well, you know, we need, uh, starting at the ends, we're going to need to polybag them. We're going to sanitize them. We need new polybags. We need new cartons. Um, we need a way to get them there. We need people to apply the double stick taped foam to the shields. We need someone to count them. You know, it's, you have to work backwards. It's a completely new product line, completely new process from scratch really yeah. quickly. And if you try to start at the beginning and project out forwards, you're always going to miss something. But when you start at the end and work backwards, you could really see where your bottlenecks are going to be. And sometimes you can spend your way out of the bottlenecks. And sometimes you can design your way out of the bottlenecks. Right. Uh, and sometimes you can't get out of the bottlenecks and you have to figure out a, an entirely different product. Yeah. Well, in, in some organizations, uh, you know, people have more of a mindset of we've designed a product, we've designed a process, and then people get stubborn and they don't want to admit that they designed something that wasn't perfect. Where I think, you know, in a, a lean organization, people plan and people try their best, but you realize it's never perfect. Like, you know, when I work with hospitals and we put together a new process, we try to work to the point where it's 85%, you know, we're 85% confident things will work well, but we know it's not perfect. And then we're adaptive in, in response. And it sounds, I'm, I, I appreciate that. It sounds like you've got that mindset there of saying, it's fine that it wasn't perfect. Let's, let's make it better and keep going. We were we had to be very honest with our clients. These are a lot of new clients and a lot of new industries. Uh, we had to be honest that we not only couldn't get FDA approvals, but we didn't even know how to get FDA approvals. Uh, we had to be honest that what we were making might not even work. We've never made this before, but this is what we can make. And you need something like this. We'll continue to supply it to you and we'll continue to improve it based on the feedback that we get. Mm -hmm. That's really the best that we can do. Yeah. Um, and the demand for these products has really been overwhelming, way more than we could possibly make, which is why we're trying to scale up so quickly. And and what and I mean, so you are getting feedback from customers about what they like, about how it fits or how it's taken on or off. So you're, you're getting that voice of the customer and, and putting that back into refining the product, right? Yeah, absolutely. The first batch that we did, uh, there was a lot of fogging on the mm. front, which meant that there was not enough ventilation between the shield and the face. So we added another layer of foam. Um, there were other issues with, with the way we put Velcro on uh, because a lot of uh, workers might not have hair where the, and the Velcro was scratching their heads. So we switched to elastic. Mm. Um, and 
then there were issues where uh, we found out that the size of the shield we were doing was overkill and we could make it a little smaller mm. without affecting performance, but that would speed up our delivery because we can cut it a lot faster. So, um, you know, a whole bunch of, of issues like that. Yeah. So you said up front, you weren't sure if they would work, but imagine you're getting a lot of positive feedback that these products are serving their purpose or it's better than other alternatives, even if it's not hundred percent, or it is, even though it's not FDA approved a lot of times, the hospitals, it sounds like they're just trying to get by. Right. Yeah. And we have gotten approvals, but this is not really a thing, but we have gotten approvals from the hospital association, which is serving in lieu of the FDA approval. And we've gotten approvals from departments of health um, who've had to approve, for example, the face shields for use in a New York hospital. So, um, you know, that's, that's serving, that's, that's serving right now, serving our purpose right now. Yeah. Well, that's great. Um, can we see, you've got a gown behind you. Um, can you talk a little bit of, I'm curious, the material and the process to go from what you were doing, doing before to doing these uh, isolation gowns? Sure. Um, so this is basically a, an isolation gown. This was a product that before we started making it was disposable um, and water water resistant to water repellent. Uh, there's all sorts of levels of medical textiles. Level one is, has some water resistant qualities to it. Level four is totally water repellent and they needed it in a certain level. So one of the things that we did was to take a water resistant fabric. Um, so this will, uh, water doesn't go through this can hold water, but it takes a little bit of penetration for water to get through it. Mm -hmm. And in certain areas of the gown, we lined it with the fabric that we use to make backpacks. Oh, okay. That is waterproof fabric. Um, and that's something that gave the hospitals comfort that this gown could be used for the procedures that they needed it to be used for. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, we, we tell people it's between a level one and a level two gown. Uh, we figured out that we needed to make the cuffs really tight so that no air could get through by the hands, mm -hmm. make the neck tie really tight in the back. Uh, and well, all of a sudden we have a gown that we've been able to sell hundreds of thousands of. Wow. Uh, the product is extremely different from what we've been working on, by the way. Yeah. So it involves different types of sewing. Um, it involves uh, different types of cutting materials and um, it's definitely a learning process, but it, at the core, it's sewing. And one thing that is our core competency is sewing. We have sewers. We have a lot of sewers who spent 20 years working on T-shirts or sweatshirts or jackets, and they have a lot of experience, more experience than any management mm -hmm. working with these sorts of garments. Yeah. So I imagine there's been a need to um, get better at rolling out and training people the new standard work, the new procedures for working with these different types of products? Uh, yes, it's the, it, there's the training of the sewing of those sorts of operations. But what's been more important and more time consuming is we spent years perfecting our lean lines, our lean production line for baseball caps. And here we have a product that we're used to operating at, say, we use a calculation of efficiency, which is basically the amount of the percentage of time a worker spends uh, on value added time, little wonkish 
a lean talk for you. For this audience, um, yeah, go for yeah, it. Yeah, okay, great. So, you know, and, and we're, we consider ourselves, uh, we consider it tragic when it's under 80%, but for a new product line like this, we might start out at 25 or 30%. Right. And uh, to us, that is an urgent problem because we've projected our costs and we've projected our scheduling based on our usual efficiency. So, you know, we're, we're sitting there singing, okay, why, why is this going so slowly? Well, obviously the people are sitting six feet apart. Um, and maybe we need to, uh, instead of having, um, maybe we need everything to be at point of use where a person never needs to get out of their chair for anything. People don't know where the raw materials are. Uh, people don't necessarily know what to do when there's a problem. So we really have to fast track a lot of that continuous improvement. And um, you've been selling these mainly in the, the tri-state area? Um, they uh, Well, we focused on New York City okay. because that has the biggest need right now, or did last week. It still does, but New Jersey also right now has a very large need. Mm -hmm. um, wherever there's a hotspot, we're seeing that's where the interest is coming from. So uh, we've done quite a bit in Chicago. We've done Detroit, and we've done California. Um, and... Um, that pretty much mirrors where the activity okay. is for these products. And, you know, a lot of my audience uh, works in healthcare. If they're at an organization where they, they have a need for shields and gowns and how, how can they contact you or union wear? Yeah, probably the best way is to email PPE sales at unionwear.com. We still don't have a website set up for these products, but we have our customer service team manning the emails. They can also call, 973-497-0102. That's our customer service line. And uh, someone will definitely be able to help them with this information. Okay. Well, great. Um, well, Mitch, thank you for taking some time out of what I'm sure is a, a busy schedule right now as you're, you're pivoting, you're ramping up these new products that are uh, doing a lot of good uh, for, for people who need them. Um, any any kind of final thoughts that, that you'd want to share with the listeners or viewers here before we go? Yeah, I mean, I think that it's really, uh, we, I'm looking at our economy as something that is a, about to, as it reopens, it's really going to be out of balance. And I'm looking at it like if we're a production line, we're out of balance. There are going to be major bottlenecks in our economy that no one can anticipate. And the people who I think are the most able to deal with this are domestic manufacturers because we have a lot of experience overcoming imbalances and bottlenecks. And uh, I don't, a lot of people are surprised at how quickly so many manufacturers turned to PPE, but they really shouldn't be because mm -hmm. that's what we've had to do in order to survive. So I just want the listeners out there to kind of be in tune with what kind of imbalances and bottlenecks are going to happen in our economy and step up and try to solve them because that's going to be a problem for, for the next few years. Yeah. Well, thank you for setting what, what seems to be such a, a, a good example and inspiring example of problem solving and adaptability. And um, really, uh, Mitch, thank you for, for what you're doing. And I'm, I'm glad we could talk again. Um, hopefully we'll, we can catch up again sometime and hear about your progress, whether that's progress in getting back to normal or progress in continuing with what you're doing. Um, certainly wish you the best. Thank you very much. I hope it's both. All right. All right. Take care. You too. Thanks. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, 
visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.